If God could create this marvelous earth and its universe and create man that today would live into his 70s, 80s, and beyond, though unfortunately this man is pursued by sickness, sorrow, and death, could he not have instead created mankind to be immortal and free of these dreads? The answer to that question is he could and he did. Through faith, Adam and Eve were created to live forever, and the only thing that could alter their situation was unbelief. Imagine eating was involved in both issues. There were two trees in the midst of the paradise of God where Adam and Eve lived. One was the tree of life, and the other was the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the latter was found what the Bible calls the curse of the law, the law of sin and death. God's first law given to man is recorded in Genesis 2:16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil opened the doors to the incessant battle between faith and unbelief between right and wrong. A definition of sin in the word of God is found in James 4.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Another definer is in Romans 14.23, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. In an act of unbelief, Eve believed Satan's words over God's, Followed by the disobedient act of eating of the forbidden fruit, immortality was lost, and the law of sin and death began to reign. Could actually eating from one of the two trees create real, eternal results, as in eternal life or eternal cognizant death? Consider what God says and does after Adam and Eve fell. Genesis three twenty-two through 24 And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil, and now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. At the end of life's story, the tree of life emerges again, and as in the beginning, it is accessed by faith. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, Revelation 22.2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22.14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Jesus says in Revelation 2.7, To him that overcometh. And Revelation 12.11 writes concerning the redeemed and the devil, And they overcame him 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. The power to overcome the devil begins at the place Jesus calls born again. At born again, one dies to self and literally is born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. Have you yet to be born again? Will today be the day you begin a brand new life, free of sin and its bondages? Will today be the day Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life? Will today be the day your promise to eat from the tree of life is restored? Make your move while you still have time. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said Psalms nineteen seven through 9, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God said, Second Chronicles thirty-six, twenty-two, and, and 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. God said, Colossians 3, verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Man said, these crazy conservative Christians are a poor lot of uneducated, easily led rednecks. Their real contribution to society is negative, really negative. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 904, that will once again certify the inerrancy of God's holy writ. All of these marvelous God proofs are cataloged here in text and streaming audio for the building up of the faith and for convincing the gainsayers that the God of the Bible is and that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Be sure to take advantage of these powerful features. One, you have questions. God has answers. Whatever your question. Type a keyword into the search bar top right and watch the screen populate with related information from Adam and Eve to quantum physics. 2. Use the tell a friend feature above to send a message to someone you love. It's so quick and easy. Number 3. Imagine. You can download nearly 346 hours of God Said, Man Said features to your electronic device. Listen to one every day. Thank you for visiting. May God bless you and fill your home with light and truth. God Proof 151, Psalms 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, 
purified seven times. For over 6,000 years, Satan has paraded before the sons of Adam his champions of contention, whose purpose is to discredit the Word of God. He has challenged its supernatural authorship. He has challenged its penmen. He has challenged every precept and commandment. He has challenged its historical accuracy, and Satan's minions have contended with every prophecy and miraculous account recorded. But unfortunately for the devil, he and his champions have failed time after miserable time. Every book ever written must bow before God's holy book, and there's a very powerful reason why. The Lord Jesus Christ describes himself in Revelation 1.8 and says, I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And as one biblical historian pointed out, and every word in between. Revelation 19.13 says of Jesus Christ, and his name is the Word of God. God's words are the supreme words of creation and superior words to all the words of men. Jesus is called the Word of God, thus Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every tongue, every word, and every book must bow. Satan's challengers continue to attack. The heaps upon heaps of the dead corpses of his carnal champions who have gone before should end the debate, but the same old foolishness persists. Proverbs chapter 30 Verse 6, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God Proof 152, Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 and 4. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. According to the Bible, God destroyed the entire earth via a global flood in the days of Noah. This one event alone totally annihilates evolution and its foundational premise of uniformitarianism. Today, every mountain peak speaks to Noah with its marine fossils. The Nevada desert has its sea-going monster. The central U.S. has shark and whale fossils, and nearly 500 ancient, mostly non-biblical societies all chronicle a global flood, all shout Noah. The following excerpt is from the writings of the famed ancient historian Flavius Josephus in his book Antiquities of the Jews. After this, the ark rested on the top of a certain mountain in Armenia, which when Noah understood, he opened it, and seeing a small piece of land about it, he continued quiet and conceived some cheerful hopes of deliverance. But a few days afterward, when the water was decreased to a greater decree, he sent out a raven, 
as desirous to learn whether any other part of the earth were left dry by the water, and whether he might go out of the ark with safety. But the raven, finding all the land still overflowed, returned to Noah again. And after seven days he sent out a dove to know the state of the ground, which came back to him covered with mud, and bringing an olive branch. Hereby Noah learned that the earth was become clear of the flood. So after he had stayed seven more days, he sent the living creatures out of the ark, and both he and his family went out, when he also sacrificed to God and feasted with his companions. However, the Armenians call this place the place of descent. For the ark being saved in that place, it remains, its remains excuse me, are shown there by the inhabitants to this day. Now all the writers of barbarian histories make mention of this flood and of this ark, among whom is Barossus the Chaldean, for when he is describing the circumstances of the flood, he goes on thus, It is said there is still some part of this ship in Armenia at the mountain of the Cordians, and that some people carry off pieces of the bitumen, which they take away and use chiefly as amulets for the averting of mischiefs. Hieronymus the Egyptian, also who wrote the Phoenician Antiquities, and uh, Mazias, and a great many more make mention of the same. Nay, Nicholas of Damascus, in his 96th book, hath a particular relation about them where he speaks thus. There is a great mountain in Armenia over Minyas called Barus, upon which it is reported that many who fled at the time of the deluge were saved, and that one who was carried in an ark came on shore upon the top of it, and that the remains of the timber were a great while preserved. This might be the man about whom Moses, the legislator of the Jews, wrote. End of quote. God said a global flood, and the facts say yes, absolutely yes. Proof number 153, John chapter 7, 38 through 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because the Jesus was not yet glorified. Spirits have knowledge. God said thousands of years ago that the Spirit literally dwells in the belly. This idea may be shocking to some, but it should come as no surprise to Bible students that the Spirit and the flesh are fully interactive. Jesus Christ said in John seven thirty-eight and 39, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because the Jesus was not yet glorified. Out of the belly of Holy Ghost-filled believers flows rivers of living water because the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Wisdom, dwells there. Sound bizarre? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Notice the direct association of the belly and spirit. In Proverbs 18, 8, it reads, the words of a tail-bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. 
The Lord Jesus speaks of the Holy Ghost who dwells in the spirit-filled believer's belly and says in John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Ghost, in addition to be many other things, is a supernatural teacher and memory bank. Brother Joshua received the spirit of wisdom when Moses laid his hands on him and ordained him to lead Israel, Deuteronomy 34, 9. The spirit in the belly, whichever one it is, will lead and teach according to its predisposition. Concerning knowledge, one can know something spiritually that defies analytic head knowledge. Everyone experiences this spirit knowledge at various levels. A simple example would be arriving home and sensing in the spirit that your spouse was unhappy with you when no external knowledge tipped you off. You just kind of knew it in your gut. Or how about when someone says something to you and you just sense spiritually that the statement doesn't ring true? There is a special intuitive knowledge that is not head-brain based. The Ladies' Home Journal, in an article titled, How Smart Is Your Stomach?, it was reported that scientists now believe there is a brain in your gut. Dr. J.W. Wood, chairman of the uh, physiology department of Ohio State University, actually calls the brain in your gut the little brain. This belly brain is really quite large, touting 100 million neurons which line the digestive tract from the esophagus to the colon. The brain in the gut, which is scientifically termed the enteric nervous system, has as many neurons, which are information centers, as the spinal cord. The following paragraph in the article reveals some very interesting observations. The little brain is connected to the big brain by the vagus nerves, a bundle of nerve fibers running from the GI tract to the head. And to the fascination of researchers, virtually all the classes of neurotransmitters found in the brain are also present in the gut. The more we learn about the enteric nervous system, the more similar it seems to the brain, says Michael Gershon, M.D., chairman of anatomy and cell biology at Columbiana University College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. Imagine your belly brain, the little brain, can know something before the brain between your ears does. The concept of gut feeling is known by all. A pediatrician was giving instruction to new parents in an article in Parenting Magazine, and he said, The best advice I can give you is to trust your gut. It's your best tool. What spirit dwells in your belly has a real and dramatic effect on your belly. Earlier, I quoted the passage that said the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. If the spirit of fear... And anxiety dwells in your belly, it can cause things such as ulcers, skin disorders, nervous stomachs, heart attack, and more. This should come as no surprise. Also note that the scriptures refer to a cognizance in the bowels of a human. Keep in mind, little brain goes from the esophagus to the colon. God said thousands of years before science discovered its relevance that the spirit dwells in the belly, that it leads and guides and instructs, and that the bowels have cognizance. God proof 154. Isaiah 44, 24, and 28. 
Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Isaiah 45, 1 and 4, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Man claims the Bible again is wrong. The writings attributed to Isaiah could not have been written by Isaiah. He prophesies of the coming Persian king Cyrus, who would release the Jews from their 70 years of Babylonian servitude to return to their homeland and rebuild Jerusalem and the Solomonic Temple. It could not have been written by Isaiah because he predates Cyrus by more than 200 years. That's their argument. Somehow it escapes the biblical minimalists who go before men, and especially in the religious circles, as the font of God, but who in fact are the scribes and wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus warns of. Yes, it escapes them that the Bible is a supernatural, inerrant, God-authored text. It escapes the minimalist that prophets of God by divine revelation foretold and foretell the future. Something else has escaped the minimalists concerning the biblical book of Isaiah and its legendary prophecies of King Cyrus. It is that the history of this issue is thoroughly recorded by Flavius Josephus. Josephus is arguably the most famous ancient historian of all time and certainly the most read. Josephus records the following. Thus saith Cyrus the king, Since God Almighty hath appointed me to be king of the habitable earth, I believe that he is that God which the nation of the Israelites worship. For indeed he foretold my name by the prophets, and that I should build him a house at Jerusalem in the country of Judea. This was known to Cyrus by his reading the book which Isaiah left behind him of his prophecies, for this prophet said that God had chosen thus to him in a secret vision. My will is as Cyrus, whom I have appointed to be king over many and great nations, send back my people to their own land and build my temple. This was foretold by Isaiah 140 years before the temple was demolished. Accordingly, when Cyrus read this and admired the divine power, an earnest desire and ambition seized upon him to fulfill what was so written. So he called for the most eminent Jews that were in Babylon and said to them that he gave them leave to go back to their own country and to rebuild their city of Jerusalem and the temple of God, for that he would be their assistant and that he would write to the rulers and governors that were in the neighborhood of their country of Judea, that they should contribute to them gold and silver for the building of the temple, and besides that, beasts for their sacrifices. Cyrus also sent an epistle to the governors that were in Syria, the contents whereof here follow. King Cyrus, Susicinus, and Sathar Buzanes, 
sendeth greeting. I have given leave to as many of the Jews that dwell in my country as pleased to return to their own country and to rebuild their city and to build the temple of God at Jerusalem on the same place where it was before. I have also sent my treasurer, Mithridates, and Zerubbabel, the governor of the Jews, that they may lay the foundations of the temple and may build it sixty cubits high and of the same latitude, making three edifices of polished stones and one of wood of the country. And the same order extends to the altar whereon they offer sacrifices to God. I require also that the expenses for these things may be given out of my revenues. Moreover, I have also sent the vessels which King Nebuchadnezzar pillaged out of the temple, and have given them the Mithridates, the treasurer, and the Zerubbabel, the governor of the Jews, that they might have them carried to Jerusalem, and may restore them to the temple of God. End of quote. The Greek author, soldier, and historian Xenophon, born in 444 B.C., speaks of King Cyrus and appends Isaiah's description of him to him which was God's shepherd. Cyrus's tomb can be seen today at Parsagarda in Iran. God said, 2 Chronicles 36, 22, and 23, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. God says Cyrus. The skeptics howled, and then Cyrus said Cyrus. God proof 155 Psalms 22 verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Approximately 1,000 years before Jesus Christ, King David prophesies and pens in Psalms 22, one of the most profound groupings of predictions concerning Christ and his demise upon the cross of Calvary that is found in the entire Bible. One such is verse 16, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18 quoted above concerning the Lord's garments and vestures are fully certified in the New Testament Gospels. Matthew 27, 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Mark 15, 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Gospel of John, chapter 19, 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parteth my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. 
These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Bible students have listed approximately 300 Old Testament passages for telling the nature of, the coming of, the ministry of, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Son of David. No personage in the history of time has been so predicted and anticipated. Even all of time itself is defined by his name, B.C. for before Christ, and A.D. for Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, for after Christ. This feature has been published in 2018 A.D. in the year of our Lord. God's Word is true and righteous altogether, every jot and every tittle. This is the place the build of life that will last forever, even eternity, A.D. God said, Psalms 19, 7 through 9, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God said, Second Chronicles 36, 22 and 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. God said, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Man said, These crazy conservative Christians are a poor lot of uneducated, easily led rednecks. Their real contribution to society is negative, really negative. Now you have the record. 